So then, dear friends in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The book of Acts is one of the neatest books in Scripture because it really gives us this awesome insight into the beginning of the church. After Christ is risen and ascended into heaven, what happens next? And the book of Acts is, is just this just phenomenal story. It's just so fascinating to me to see how these, all these people, all these men and women adapted and how their lives changed after Christ ascended. Now, last week we heard of some, some fascinating story of uh, Stephen's murder as, as he gives of his life defending the faith and telling the truth of God, and we see him murdered for that. But elsewhere in Acts, we see a little bit nicer stories. We hear of the people who are giving everything away, selling all their possessions, giving to people who are in need, constantly in the temple, praising and thanking God. But also, a huge part of the book of Acts is watching Paul on his journey of faith. Because first off, we hear about Paul as he's holding the coats of those who murder Stephen. We hear of Paul as this huge persecutor of Christians and of the church in the early days of the church. We also get to follow Paul as he meets Jesus on the road, as he is blinded by Jesus, as he then has to go and rely on Christians in order to receive healing for this blindness that, he, that happened. But then we also get to watch Paul be this extremely and extraordinarily zealous missionary as he goes out into the known Roman world, utilizing his, uh, his citizenship as a Roman, but also his, his faith and his trust in God through Jesus Christ as he spreads the gospel message everywhere. Now what we see in Acts chapter 17 today is that Paul's journey takes him now to Athens. And as you can see on the picture there, that little dot there that's to the east of Italy, that's where Athens is. It's on this little peninsula that's jutting out into the Mediterranean Sea. Now many of you might have heard of Athens because of history class. There's a lot of history that came from the Greeks. You might have heard of Athens because, well, there's the Olympics. Uh, but what is Athens really known for in history is that Athens is known for philosophies. Many different thinkers and educators kind of laid their roots down in Athens and, and spread their teachings throughout. It is <clears throat> a, 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 just a, a, the, the biggest buffet you can think of of all kinds of thought and thinking. Athens is said to have been one of the places where democracy was, was thought about in, in philosophy. But now Paul is here among these Athenians bringing in a new philosophy. But it's not a philosophy like the others where it helps people deal with the struggles of daily life or figure out how to live and work with other humans. It is a philosophy that does that while also providing eternity through the truth. As Paul's in Athens, he's preaching, he's reasoning with people, he's sharing the gospel that he himself has been changed by. He is witnessing to others what has happened to him. He's telling people of the blessed love that is found in God, especially that was found in a God that took on human form 
that suffered and died in the place of mankind to redeem mankind. But what's interesting in this little part of, of Acts is that Luke and Paul, so Luke as the author of Acts, Paul the focus of this story, we focus on the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. They, they pay attention specifically to these two kinds of people. Now, why these specifically? Well, probably at the time, these were the ones who were famous. They were the most predominant. But we'll look in just a second what these actually mean, and I think that you'll see with me how these philosophies are still very predominant in our world. So in Stoicism, here we have a picture of Marcus Aurelius, who is a Roman emperor, who is one of the more famous Stoic philosophers. Stoicism is the belief that there is this thing called the Logos, which governs and rules all things. It's never really described as God, but it is the origin point and source of all things. Many people call it reason, but that it is in control. It's given order to everything. Now, John, in his gospel, actually plays with this. In the beginning of John's gospel, we have, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word, the Word, the Word. In Greek, it's logos. In the beginning was the logos. The logos was made flesh. The logos dwelt among us. And see, John is specifically using this concept from Stoic philosophy to get you to understand who this Christ actually is. That it's not this removed thing, this reason, but it's actually something very intimately connected to our creation. But a huge part of Stoic philosophy, though, too, is understanding that this, this thing, this reason, you can't control that. You can't change it. It is what it is. And that's also the same thing with other people. You can't change other people. In Stoic philosophy, you can only control yourself. And therefore, you need to work on yourself to be the best self that you can be. As we look over to Epicureanism, here's a statue of Epicurus. Um, so 341 to 270 BC, this is about 300 years before Jesus was doing his work on earth. This guy uh, founded Epicureanism, and their belief is that the greatest good for a person is that they enjoy modest pleasures so that they might be calmed and comforted but also that people should be free from fear and that people should be free from pain. Now, we hear these philosophies, and again, I think you can hear it with me, that these are still things that are happening today. This is what people still believe, right? I am only in control of myself. There are things out of control. I am in control of myself, so I need to focus on myself. And while I'm focusing on myself, I do know that there is some sort of order that has been given to things, but I don't know what that is. That's what a lot of agnostics say. They, they don't really seem to commit, but they really focus on themselves. But then you also have the, the Epicureans who are still out there too, right? who are so focused on enjoying the simple pleasures of life that uh, bring them calm, that avoid the scary things, uh, avoid the things which hurt you, which, in my opinion, is one of the silliest things in this world, to try and believe something like that. Because anyone who's realistic in this life knows that you can't waste all your time on pleasures. 
And that even if you do, those pleasures start to turn into vices. They, they no longer become pleasurable for you. We also know that you can't avoid fear because we live in a world of sin. We're currently in the midst of a pandemic. How are you going to avoid fear in a pandemic? You can't. And then, how is it possible to be free from pain? The, the world hurts, right? Aging hurts. Growing up hurts. Our emotions hurt. But honestly, some of the best things in life hurt. Going on a, uh, on a hike, and you're sore, and, and your joints are hurting, but it's because you accomplished something that feels good. You worked hard to build something on your property, a new shed or maybe a compost box, whatever it might be, I don't know. But you're, you're feeling sore after you were working hard, but now you have this thing that ah, this is going to be a great tool, a great asset for our home. And I mean, think about new life. While I personally don't know, the moms who have given birth have told me that it hurts quite a bit. Freedom from pain, that's not realistic. So what I want us to look at, though, is how does Paul speak to these people? Is he doing what I'm doing and pointing out all their faults in these, in these philosophies? Actually, no. He praises them, which is strange, right? You would think that Paul, this extremely zealous disciple, apostle, whatever you want to call him, You'd think that he'd be the one to just be like, you guys, this is so wrong. You've got to stop. But no, he praises them saying, you're pretty religious people. That's, that's good because you're seeking the truth. You're striving to find who's actually here. But let me tell you about the truth. Let me reveal to you about this God that you are honoring that this God is, is not someone that dwells in temples or high upon mountains or, or someone who is childish and vengeful or, or someone who is even absent or disconnected. Rather, this God is truly beside you at all times. This God has promised not to abandon you, to provide you with helper after helper after helper in every step of life. He is very near to you and he calls to you, calling to you to change your ways, to turn from these philosophies which, which just simply are not working for you, to change from the, the sin and pleasures that you seek to, to fill your life with and to turn to a life of loving and caring and serving people. And all of these things, Paul is saying, all these things I know for a fact because this guy was raised from the dead. Notice, he doesn't say Jesus. He talks about God. He comes to them speaking their language, making the word of God, the truth of God, relevant to their ears. And he gives proofs for why he believes this so much, because this man who will come and judge, who is the reason that we change and become righteous, this one will return. And I know it because he has been raised from the dead. Now, we hear after this that some believe and some don't. But here's what we can see. How we are to walk as disciples in this world. 
how we are to bring the word of God and make it relevant to all the people around us. Because when you step out into this world, and I mean step out physically and metaphorically, go on the internet. Go to websites like, like Reddit and Twitter and Facebook and see all the different competing philosophies in this world. How people are, are trying to tell others, no, this is how you live. No, this is how you live. But also see how the God of the self is predominant with so many I have to focus on me. I am the highest authority in my life. The one that I heard the other day that I thought was very fascinating. If there is a God, he's going to have to answer to me. Because this is the God of the self. I am the highest authority. But even in things like Epicureanism, right, is still out there. People whose whole lives revolve around their hobbies. Like video games or fishing or cars or even their whole lives that just revolve around the, the pleasures that they seek. I, I only have a job so I can pay for my membership to the gym so that I can build myself up to be stronger. But even those things that are out there, that those competing philosophies, that if you don't agree with me, I'm going to do whatever I can in my power to stop you from even coming close to speaking ever again. Many out there call it cancel culture. Where if, if there's one thing that you have said that's wrong, your entire existence is gone. Because now forgiveness is not a part of these philosophies. But as we look into this world, we who have been redeemed by Christ, we are looking into this world but not being of this world. We're not allowing these different philosophies to take us captive, but rather we are bringing the truth of God to these people. We see a world that needs forgiveness. We see a world that needs hope, that is struck down by fear and pain. Not to tell them that they're never going to struggle, but to show them God's answer to this problem of evil. We who have been saved and have and, and are being saved know that we have to give up of ourselves. And we have to give of ourselves. We have to change, that's what repentance is, from our old ways that are self-serving, self-seeking, and actually start seeking and serving others as called to by our God. And we know this because what we have seen God do for us. I will continually remind you, this is why we put crosses everywhere. It's not a fashion statement. I actually read somewhere online, and I thought this was a really cool way of saying it. Our, the symbol of our faith, the cross, is actually a mocking symbol. Because the cross is death. It is an instrument of torture and pain and punishment and execution. But it is empty. Because the one who was punished and executed on our behalf to remove our sins is now alive. He's not on there anymore. The cross no longer is, is a, a, an item that terrifies, but an item that now reminds us of what God has done for us. As we who have been given this joy now mock death and sin. Because death and sin have lost their power. This isn't any philosophy. This is the truth. This is the truth that God has brought to us so that we would know 
that we would be saved, that we would join him. And now it is our job to be missionaries like Paul. Not exactly like Paul. I don't think all of us have the the time and ability to run around and do all that he did. But we're called to be missionaries in our daily lives. Where we have been given this word of God and we are given the power to make it relevant to God's people. If you just start shouting at people, shouting the Psalms, yeah, you're preaching God's word, but are you really preaching it? So we learn from Paul's example, because it is perfect for us to learn from. What did Paul do? He went where the people were. He gathered with them in their, their, the streets, their markets, their homes. Wherever he could find people, he went to them. A big mistake that we make is that we expect people to come to us. And then we'll have the opportunity But what I want you to see is that the opportunities are everywhere around you. That God has blessed you with your your talents and your abilities. I've told you so many times you were put in the right place at the right time to do God's work. To make this word of God relevant to the world around you. Not forsaking its truth, but connecting that truth in ways that people will hear, understand, know, and grow. Some will listen. And some will have their lives changed. Some will ignore you. But that's just a part of it. Because God has given you this work to do and it is your responsibility to do it. It's not on you to change their hearts. But one thing that always keeps me going is, is imagining those, those saints that I will see in eternity who will come to me and say, you said one little thing And it did this for me. It changed me. Or you did this one little thing that got me curious. Not so that I can gloat or be arrogant, but to see that I have been used by my God to do his work. That's one thing that really keeps me going, to to seek to try and make this relevant to the world. Because not only is this relevant, it's life-changing and it is life-giving. Amen, brothers and sisters.